Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to take a moment and introduce you to our new sponsor, JustWorks. JustWorks is awesome. They help businesses take care of their benefits, payroll, HR. They do it all so seamlessly, easily, automatically. And we know they're awesome because we use them. And the Reboot Podcast is really more than just Jerry and guests. It takes a whole team to put it together. And JustWorks makes it easy to support that team. And we wanted to take this opportunity with this new sponsorship to introduce you to some of the amazing people who help make the Reboot Podcast happen. Hi, I'm Charles Gamble. I'm a freelance podcast producer and audio engineer, and I'm an assistant producer on the Reboot Podcast. So Jerry will record his conversations, and you just never know what you know the Skype connection is going to sound like. So I edit out a lot of clicks and pops, background noise as best I can, and then I put that audio into a template that has the music, your voiceover, So that's basically what I do is post-production on the audio. So Charles, do you want to talk a little bit about how we came to make this ad? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were talking about all the different angles we could take. It struck me how much more difficult it's been to record this than it's ever been to use JustWorks. And it reminded me when Allie was getting everything set up for uh, how to pay me. So she sent me this link to JustWorks. And I went and signed into it, and like two or three minutes later, I was done, and I was like, is that all there is to it? And so I had a meeting with Allie a few days later, and I put on the agenda specifically to ask her, did I do Just Works right? Because it seemed too simple. Because, yeah, all I had to do was fill in my, you know, how I wanted to get paid, and it was done. But I'm not joking when I say setting up Just Works to set up our payroll, our benefits, our insurance actually took less time than it took for Charles to describe (laughs) it. And we use JustWorks. We're so grateful for their support of this podcast. And to learn more about how they could work for you, go to reboot.io slash JustWorks. A good half of the art of living is resilience. That quote is from Alan DeBotton. Anyone who has tackled a big challenge has wrestled with this question at some point. How do you know when to give up? How do I know this isn't one of those times to just push even harder? Am I simply banging my head against a wall that won't budge? Or is this a defining moment, the defining moment perhaps, one where entrepreneurs, leaders, and companies are made by persevering through challenges? How do we answer the question, am I being stubborn? or resilient. Nigel Sharp, our first returning podcast guest, is wrestling with this question at this very moment. Shouldering the hope and opportunity of improving a country through his organization and carrying a real concern for his team, he stares down an empty company bank account, wrestling with a deep confusion on whether he should push on or move on. Jerry and Nigel explore the questions he's holding, what moves him personally about his company, and where to possibly go next. Hey, Nigel, it's good to see you again. Hey, Jerry, how are you doing? 
Good, good. Hey, listen, before we get started, can you just take a minute and introduce yourself and just sort of remind us the company and perhaps even uh, our last conversation? Sure. So, I mean, we've, uh, I think the first time we actually chatted was on the, uh, the GAN founders call, uh, that we had together. I was briefly, uh, introduced to you there. And, um, and after that, I was got a chance to be on this, uh, reboot podcast and that was just amazing. So my, my name is Nigel Sharp. Uh, I'm a British Armenian entrepreneur, um, originally from London, uh, moved to Armenia about five years ago, um, worked in a really cool technology center for kids. Uh, and then about two years back, started my own, uh, startup technology company called LionSharp uh, Technologies. Uh, LionSharp um, has a whole different array of um, work that we try and work on, but fundamentally we're trying to change how people interact with computers. So things like using your hands and your voice to control computers is something that really fascinates me. And uh, we've built a product called VoiceBoard. And um, VoiceBoard, I mean, I guess since we last talked, a lot of things have happened because VoiceBoard is now out on the market and um, available for everyone to download. So definitely recommend everyone on the podcast to go uh, to voiceboard.info and grab a copy of it. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of uh, who I am and what I do. So I run a I run a crazy team of engineers who are trying to change the world from all the way over in Armenia. Yeah, well, and I appreciate this because I know that uh, this is what it's midnight there. Uh, we just caught a very early morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time and and coming on. And you know, Nigel, you'd reached out and you'd sort of given me a little bit of a an update on things. First of all, I guess, tell me how things are going and even more to the point, tell me what it is that, you know, you'd, you'd mentioned that you'd found the, the previous call somewhat helpful and I'm just curious as what you might be looking for in, in conversation today. I think it's uh, it's interesting because um, there's been like this, these three huge tech changes that happened in those six months. So I'm now we've got three major product pivots. Uh, we survived a currency uh, collapse uh, here in Armenia because when the ruble collapsed in December, um, that had a huge effect uh, here in Armenia. So it had a so ongoing effect, and it was actually the worst possible time because it was exactly the same moment that the whole team was over in the U.S. So the American dollar just basically doubled in in price overnight, and wow. you can sort of imagine it there. And that was a, a shock to everything. So uh, we were there at um, you know we went we just gone from TechCrunch and Wired, and then we moved over and we did the Financial Times event, uh, the next web, and then we were at CES. And these are all expensive events to be at and doing stuff. And with a team of six, it was we're burning through our last cash. We, we're, we're running a Kickstarter campaign. We're about to kick things off. Uh, the currency is collapsing. The team back in Armenia is uh, panicking and struggling with like you know the idea of what's going to happen with. Um, I mean, they don't know. You know, every day the the, the the shops were closed, the supermarkets were all shut down. I mean, it was quite extreme. Um, so now we're at this kind of like critical fundraising moment. We've gone through most of that cash. We've tried a number of things. Um, I can't say we were excessive with anything we tried. We tried everything in a sort of fair way. We did put a lot of plans into place, but we've come to this realization that it's going to take longer to get to where we need to get to. And we're in this, I guess, critical fundraising uh, zone right now. And when I reached out to you, I was kind of at that breaknet moment because I'm, you know, in a CEO position, holding the team together, asking everyone to stay on board. Although I know that necessarily next month, you know, salaries can't get paid. The founders have already taken, I mean, everyone's taken an 80, 90% pay cut. Everyone's not getting paid. Everyone's on the deferred payments now. Um, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty tragic. And yet all the signs are there for the startup to actually switch around and become a success at any moment. But it's that you know how how far to the line, how far to hold things, and I really want to get out of this call just to understand 
where to draw that line, where is that line of, of safety to, to, you know, to, to draw it at. And, uh, you know, I think the uh, resi- resilience versus stubbornness was a question that I had uh, sent you by email. That's right. That's what that we came back to. And, and, and are you being stubborn or are you being resilient at this point? I'm glad I was able to sort of pause you because mm-hmm. I yeah, noticed sorry. that you just took a sip. No, you don't have to apologize. When I point that out, I'm pointing it out because I want to bring your attention to the tension that you're feeling and the weight. Yes, you just took a breath. <laughs> right. That first breath is probably, it, it, I'm imagining that may have been one of the first deep breaths you've taken in a week. So there's a lot. And there's a lot about your story that is familiar to myself, to other entrepreneurs. And there's a lot about the story that's not, because I don't think there's a lot of us, certainly those of us outside the countries associated with Russia, have, de- have had to deal with currency collapse on top of everything else. And that's a pretty intense time period. So I just want to pause and take a breather on that, you know, and just acknowledge how, how much has been going on. So what I heard was you actually had some pretty good momentum going into December. You actually, so you're nodding. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you were making good progress in the product. I was a little concerned about the multiple product pivots that I saw, that I heard. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, But there was a momentum going on. And then there was a macroeconomic event and shit like that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not currency collapses, but Lehman collapses or buildings collapse, right? Or people get sick, right? And there's that stuff that starts to happen. And that completely impacts your ability to start to execute about um, according to the plan. And now we're in this place where there's a massive cash crunch. And the question that seems to be on the table is, am I being stubborn by sticking with it? Or is this an expression of my resiliency? Do I have that right? Yeah, and I think there's the I mean the two additional pieces on the table is the the geography aspect of this. There is am I doing this in the wrong place in the world because there's no safety net here? Um and I think that's something that also people listening to this maybe should understand is that when you operate in somewhere like Armenia, Armenians don't have a social welfare system that's worth speaking of anyway. And therefore survival um, I mean, you know, I hate to be dramatic about it, but it practically can mean if people in a family don't have jobs, then the, the alternative is really, um, you know, starvation, hunger and the rest of it. Now, I've never felt that because I also grew up in London and, and, and growing up in the UK, you always feel that at some bottom point, there's always going to be some sort of like, you know, pickup mechanism to get back on that. And then I guess as an entrepreneur, I also don't feel that, you know, I'm going to get into that situation because you can always dig yourself out of a hole. But um but it's an interesting kind of mental shift that, you know, when you're surrounded by the struggle um, and you realize that if you take the wrong step a little bit too far, you're actually playing with a, a sort of tripwire that can really trip uh, trip myself up. And I don't want and to be not, in a position and, where I'm, And not yeah. just for you, but also for your employees. Well, no, 
this is this is. I mean, my biggest concern is them uh, always because the the financial debt you put into in Armenia is not something to be you know trifled with. If you put people into a position where they can't. You know they can't help their families do things month by month. People are living from week to week, month by month. Uh, they're not in a position where there's a you know credit card that's going to bail them out for a couple of months or do something. They they're not in that kind of you know financial position. So, no, I'm very aware of that, and um, I th- think we've been a little bit unfortunate as well because more recently in the news with the team is that both of my co-founders have had unfortunately um, unwell family members, you know, very close to them, and that's had a huge impact on on both of my closest co-founders. And, um, you know, the most recent news that, that, I mean, you know, I guess I can tell you, but I mean, you know, we haven't even announced to the team, but we'll tell them tomorrow morning, uh, is that one of the co-founders is having to leave to go look after his mother in, in Italy. And um, that's, a, you know, a very serious, um, serious consequence now, because we're at this kind of critical crunch moment where everyone's going to look at the team. They're going to say, well, look, you know, you guys are struggling and then somebody's leaving. It's going to have a bad reflection there. And there's a lot of, I think you're right, the deep breath signifies a lot of, a lot of things happening, so it's good that we have a cup of tea here. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just want to also recognize that it's hard um, for everybody. Um, you've got people who have family members that they're responsible for and that they, they're not just responsible for, that they love and need to be taken care of and... and um, this is one of the challenges is that, you know, looking at, I mean, most people won't see your face when we listen to this, right? I get to see your face and mm. I can see that, you know, there's a kind of being torn apart because you care and you want them, you want everyone to be okay and yet I'm imagining now that this is a little bit frightening for you. You're going to tell the team tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so we're going to announce that tomorrow. Send the send the letters to the board to let them know as well. Um, at the moment, there's been a lot of you know bad news recently with the the financials. We just had the the annual meeting with the things. I mean, there was a lot of uh, sorry with with you know the investors and the shareholders. And it was, you know, an interesting meeting because a lot of people were expecting me to sort of say, well, guys, we're at the end of the road and, and that's it. Um, and instead, we got, gave up with a, a sort of fiery speech about how we're going to fight this until the end. Um, and I'm very committed to that in my mind. Again, stubbornness or resilience, I don't know what it is, but I'm very committed to going down, you know, with a fight. But there's also this, you know, you know, uh, what's it? The sort of, you know, the, the conscious at the back of your mind constantly saying to you, Hey, maybe you should just advise the guys to go get jobs, you know, somewhere safe and somewhere, you know, reliable because they're going to be better off uh, and, and less, less of the struggle. Um, I think we've taken this and done a lot more than people thought we could achieve in two years. And I kind of would like to see two more years of that. You know, I think that's really what I'm here for. And it's very, it's a very weird position to be in because at the end of the day, there's struggling, suffering, there's, there's struggle and suffering all around. And in some ways, though, it's nothing compared to being in a developing country like Armenia. You see real struggling and suffering all around. So therefore, it's not as bad as that. But it is very hard. But everyone says it's hard. So hmm. anyway, it's uh, it really it really plays with your head, you know. So to look at it from two different sides. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I I I, I hear you, and and uh, I think you're in this you're in this really tough spot. You know, when I think about the whole question of stubbornness versus resiliency, 
one of the one of the questions I often ask is how much do you actually believe? Right? And sometimes people stick with something past the point in which they actually believe. And that tends to be, you know, I think that, that stubbornness tends to be rooted in things like uh, my ego won't allow me to experience failure or uh, I don't, you know, I want to prove people wrong. And I'm not actually hearing that. Mm. I'm hearing something else. I'm hearing a belief in the potential of the technology, a belief in the work that people have done. Is that right? It's, it's the team. You know, you know what we did? Um, I came to Armenia five years ago, and we built, a, we built a center called Tumo Center. Tumo Center is the world's largest creative technology center sitting right here in Yerevan. Most people in the U.S. would never know this. It's a $65 million project. I got brought in more or less fresh out of university. Um, got to be the IT project manager for the largest IT project here in the country, probably in the region. Um, and Tumo is an amazing center. I mean, if you go there, it's now serving, you know, six, 7,000 kids a week uh, that go through that center. It's an incredible center. They get to play with this great technology and the rest of it. And the founders of this company all came from that center in different sense. So, so Alessandro was, you know, the robotics guy and, and gave up building systems. And and therefore, we, we'd we all come through this sort of journey of being told that it was impossible to build a center like this out here. And, and I'd never built a, you know, a full-scale infrastructure IT center before. Google was definitely my best friend. We definitely uh, <laughs> researched and did it. But but I saw this incredible work ability of some some people, and we, and I've and I see this amazing set of kids here in Armenia with so much potential, and yet the country has let down people in so many different ways. It, it doesn't have the, you know, maybe necessarily the right government yet, and it doesn't have all the right you know facilities yet for these guys. And unfortunately, a lot of them are looking to leave as quickly as they can. And um, but I just somehow believe that you know we built something great. This is not uh, just bullshit. That you know, I hear a lot of in um, mm-hmm. in in the media and this, in the Silicon Valley news that I read. I mean, there's there's actually some real tech here. I mean, I liken our company to this company like like Oblong was, you know, many years mm-hmm. ago when John Odenklofer came up with you know Minority Report and said like, hey, you can wave your hands and and control computers. But I was like, yeah, we did that, and we also use voice to control computers, which is you know some ways more than what those guys do. Mm-hmm. And yet I wouldn't want to take their challenge head on because they're you know they're an eight year old company with some serious uh, force behind them. But we don't have that access. But I think that's what's given the guys so much more tenacity to to keep fighting up through this. And we tried more product pivots than I saw. We worked more hours than, than I see around us. And uh, So I'll tell you what I don't hear. Okay. I don't hear delusion. I don't hear self-bullshit. I don't feel like I'm being spun. I don't feel like I'm talking to somebody who's lying to himself or to me. I feel like there's a word that you just used that I think is extraordinary. And it's a corollary word to resiliency, and that is tenacity. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, there's an underlying issue here. And we talked about this the first time we talked at that GAN call, the Global Accelerated Network call. And that is, why the hell are you in Armenia? And you're there because it has meaning. You're yep. there because it has purpose. Now, you can make the argument that you're there in part because you've had, you have access to technical minds that you might not have been able to afford in another country. That's true. But you're trying to do something 
that is extraordinary. You're trying to simultaneously launch a business and in a sense teach a generation how technical technology companies get launched all while providing opportunity to people who might otherwise have to leave their home. Yep. That's, That's a heavy burden. Pretty much sums it up. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's maybe a bit, and I think that's the the truth of it. Is I pretty bit off a little bit more than I could chew with this company. If we, uh, yeah, pretty bit off a little bit too much uh, just here. And the thing is, is that the people that supported us have done it exactly for you know for the reason that they can see us pretty dedicated to it. I'm not one of these guys who will ever get up and run around and wave an Armenian flag and say, yeah, let's go. And because that to me doesn't doesn't inspire anything. I, I mm. genuinely believe that. Uh, stories uh, inspire people when people see proof, when they see empirical evidence. I mean, one of the fun stories I was told is that, you know, if you guys make it as tech entrepreneurs, come back here and buy a bunch of, you know, bright green Ferraris or something, drive them down the street, because when all the guys are looking at their mafia cars in their big mm-hmm. black, you know, blacked out Jeeps, they'll see these green Ferraris and go like, yep, those guys started in the living room and started honestly and, and did the whole thing uh, fair and square, and that'll be a story worth telling. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure it's necessarily good good. Uh, expenditure but anyway yeah it's uh well but 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 what you're really talking about is is a deeper sense of purpose and a deeper sense of mission and sure. and that is to find the next 15 year old kid and inspire them that there's another way to grow mm-hmm. and and that way to grow has far less to do with self-optimization and a selfish point of view and far more around thinking about the community and when when entrepreneurial communities work well uh, you know my friend Brad Feld has this wonderful phrase called give first when entrepreneurial mm-hmm. communities do well they embody that belief system where you're giving back and you're and 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 the and part of it is stems from the enthusiasm not just for the tech not just for the difficult problem that has been solved but for that gleam in the eye that occurs when someone sees something that they didn't think was possible and it all of a sudden it becomes real whether it's a minority report like interface or something is changing and and to build upon that spark to create deep society level change i hear this connection Am I seeing it? Am I hearing it correctly? Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's uh, to me, it's a it's a mission that I'm personally been on for quite some time. But then the biggest validator with me was like, you know, I think a lot of people don't get this as quickly. But I came out here and within a few months, you know, promoted to to running and being, you know, one of the leaders of this uh, this great project in the country, and then seeing the the change we're making. And then when we opened it up. I mean, we had 40,000 people come outside, you know, standing there to see the doors of this and, and have this uh, this opening party. Um, and it was it was just an incredible moment, you know. In my life, you know, just, I was very proud to stand. Point, in your life, you were very proud too. Say that again. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very proud to have been there, been part of that and actually been, you know, a, a, key, a key, you know, a key to that. Being, Say it again. Know, happening. Say it again. Uh, yeah, I'm very proud to have been there and and to have made that piece happen. Yeah. What is success, Nigel? Uh, for me, success is the 
genuinely is the is the happiness and and the you know uh, the happiness of humanity. So is Lion Sharp a success or failure? Um, uh, depends who you ask. I think that for I'm me, asking you. To me, is is it's not there yet. It's not a. It's been successful in everything we've done. I think we've been successful. We've managed to do more than I could have imagined we could do. We 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 you know we not only created jobs, we created inspiration. We've given back. We've started the community. We've seen. When I started here, there was five startups. You know, two years ago, there's now probably 20, 25 startups in the country, and I definitely know we were part of that that change. Um, you know, I speak publicly here. We give back as much as we can. Um, my two co-founders, I'm very proud of them. I mean, they started this company in the 21, 22, giving up jobs in Armenia, which is not a clever idea <laughs> uh, by society standards here. And that would be something very much frowned upon. And they both gave up jobs in trust of what I told them we could be. And, and now both of them have come a long way and managed to support their families through a lot. So no, I think, uh, I think yes, it's been a success, but it's hasn't, yeah, it, it could be so much more. You know, there's so mm-hmm. much more success to be had. Um, and it's so not the personal you, game. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to your core question, resiliency versus stubbornness. Mm-hmm. So is Nigel done? I can't. Hmm, okay. Let me, let me take a step back from the question. My issue with if I'm done is I can't drag everyone through through this you know you can't um one thing i learned about armenia many years ago is you can't come to armenia with the attitude you're going to change the country if you do that you'll change nothing if you come to the country with the attitude you're going to learn see what you can gain from everybody here and then you know work with people to make the change they want to make that's fine um i think the challenge now is that i may be done here for now because there's nothing more that I can do at this moment in time in Armenia. And I think now it's the opportunity to go off and, and build, you know, networks and relations outside and beyond, because that's what this country desperately needs. I mean, they desperately need more ambassadors, more bridges to, to the West to do things. And actually, so if you ask me if I'm done, no, I'm not done with Armenia. Uh, my wife's family is from Armenia. I'm very much connected to Armenia. So now I'll be, I'll be back and I'll be doing things here, but am I done right now uh, with, with this, then yeah, and if and if we're talking about Lion Sharps, you see, I mean, you can probably see that I quickly moved off the topic of talking about the company, but it isn't the uh, isn't the first priority. You know, maybe it should be, but it's uh, Lion Sharp is is a business, it's a tool to allow me to you know play with stuff that I love playing with, uh, spending time with people that I like being with, um, but most importantly, you know, building building a success story for everyone to share in. So yeah. So I'm glad you made these distinctions. What should happen with Lion Sharp? What should be your next? What's your next step? Mm. I know you're going to talk to the employees tomorrow. Um, yeah. So that's the the immediate thing. I mean, we've um, one of my co-founders is now out in Boston. He's now living out there. Uh, he spent two years. You know. Um, I mean, I guess I can share this with you. I mean, two years ago, he won his green card. So in Armenia, winning a green card is like, you know, sort of like winning the lottery. I mean, they actually called it the green card lottery, right? So you win you win this thing. It's like, and they make it into a winning thing. Now, to me, I find that kind of, 
Well, no, okay. No, I, won't, I won't say anything bad about the green card, but I do find it a little bit ironic um, that you know it's not it's not necessarily a winning thing because for Armini, you're actually losing you know one of the top most talented guys, the CTO of this company, won this uh, at the same moment we started the company. So two years ago, he said to me, Nigel, I need to go to America. I need to go and build my life, do things. And I said, Hang on a second, we can do a lot more here. You know, there's a lot more opportunity right now to do this. And he believed in that. And then you know, um, over the past few months, you know, it's getting more and more to the point where he really needs to, to make that step out there before he might lose the opportunity forever. And um, that's, a, that's a serious risk. So, um, and he's, you know, he's saying to me, no, let's get out there. Let's get out to the U.S. and do stuff. So he made the decision a few days ago, quite out of the blue, quite suddenly. But again, a lot of stuff's going on. You know, when a company's running out of cash, there's just a lot of pressure from all sides. So, you know, he made the, the, the jump like, look, you know, I don't want to get it stuck. So I'm going to get on a plane and get out there. And I said, all right, let's do it. So he, he disappeared a few days ago. Now, the other co-founder, you know, he has to go back and look after family. So Gevok sitting in America saying, get over here. Let's go and build some stuff. I'm working out how to do that. I'm reading crazy blog posts from people like Brad Feld, exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. You know, seeing that he's saying, you know, we can find clever ways, you know, to use universities to give people H-1B visas so they can come over here and work and all this kind of very smart stuff they're doing. And I'm thinking, okay, so there is an opportunity. It's just going to be a matter of like, you know, hustling and fighting my way through it, but I can get out there and do this stuff and we could carry on and build on. So what's next for Lion Shop and what's next in general? It's like, let's just go and play where everyone else is playing and let's go take it up a notch. We have now had, uh, you know you know what I think it looks like? It feels like um, it's it's kind of like the guys have come back from the, the war. You know, I think in our eyes, we've all grown up a lot. Me and my co-founders, we've all gone through so much Together, that if somebody really looks and stares me down and wants to talk to me about startup struggle, I'll stare right back and I can, I can talk the talk. And <laughs> yes, I, I ain't scared, like you know. And I, I so if they take me out of the U.S. and they tell me about oh how how much trouble they're having finding the, you know, cafe latte decaf thing with almond milk or whatever their problems are in life, then like you know, okay, let me let me talk about problems and let's talk about fixing things. And and I think we'll spin circles around people out there. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to go and spin some circles, move things, you know, at a different pace, and show people that a team of you know really hard trains. Uh, Guys who've gone through the thicks and things of, of startup battles, you know, uh, worldwide, but from Armenia will be a, a force to contend with out there. And I think that's what I want to do. I want to bring you back to something. You were describing the people who come to Armenia and think that they want to change Armenia. And you said what they really need to do is you said something like learn from and work with the people. Sure. So what I'm hearing is there's an opportunity here to learn from and work with this experience and to drop the one piece of delusion that I do hear. The one piece of delusion that I hear is that it's solely your responsibility. Yeah, it's the same comment you made last time we chatted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Remember you are surrounded by people who are as tenacious as you are, maybe even more so. You can actually ask them to help. Whether you decide to shut down Lion Sharp, whether you decide to morph it into yet another entity and, and mm-hmm. merge the technology and start afresh someplace else. What is the definition of resiliency except the ability to rise after being knocked down? 
Isn't that resiliency? Getting back up. Um, I think it is. It's not, it's yeah. not about whether or not you got knocked down. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right? How do you, you know, you, you, you in a sense ask implicitly, am I being stubborn or am I being resilient? And in the end, I think the definition of resiliency is the capacity to cut through your own lying, your own tendency to self-delusion, and to pick yourself up and learn from the experience. And I, I'll, I'll add to your challenge. If you do not speak, whether it's in a podcast or a blog post, if you do not take these lessons and take them back, send them back to Armenia, send them back to that 16-year-old kid who's sitting in Tumo right now, then there's a real loss. That's the real tragedy. It's interesting you say that as well, Jerry. A couple of weeks ago, I decided to go out and buy myself a domain name and uh, you know, start you know, putting in the background. So yeah, there is a, a blog in the works that I thought, well, it's going to help me a lot to get a lot of this, this lessons out. Um, TechCrunch asked me, you know, recently maybe I could propose an article to talk about the, you know, because at the moment Armenia is on the map because of the tensions between Turkey and Armenia and, and uh, the celebration of the, the 100th year of the genocide that's, um, that took place. And and therefore there's like, a, you know, it's, it's a very um, yeah, poignant moment in the history of the country because there's a, a lot of history uh, being looked over. But people are questioning what is the future and where is the future going? And I, I have a vision for it. I, I think I can see a possibility for the country. And I think other people also share in that vision. Sadly, not very many, but there's definitely other people that see that possibility too. And um, yeah, and no, I'd like to see that happen. And uh, listen, and you're right. You it's, know, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my problem. I, I agree. It's not only my, it's, it's not, not only it's, me. It's not, yeah. That's right. It's not that it's not your problem. It's not only mm-hmm. your burden. Yeah, sure. Right? I mean, one of the things that we, one of the mistakes we make as leaders is that we take on the responsibility. I do it myself with my partners at Reboot. I start to take on responsibility for paying their mortgage. And I should know better because I'm like the coach, right? Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I feel that responsibility. I know it. And it's a mistake. It's wrong. And in fact, doesn't, it cuts us off from accessing the very people that we need. So that's one thing. The second thing is, in all this struggle, there's been an enormous amount of pain. And we can see it in your eyes. We can see it on your face. And in that pain, the way, the way we make that pain worthwhile is we extract the lessons from it. We extract what it is that we can learn. And what we can share. And there's a funny thing that happens when we do that. We grow. We process. We heal. So yes, you writing blog posts, you telling the story of Lion Sharp, you telling the story of the last two, three, four, five years is incredibly important for everybody around you. Those who are in Armenia and those who are not. But it's equally important for you to make sense of this. And so that you can heal. So that the next thing that you go forward with goes forward from your best possible place. Whether it's Lion Sharp 2.0 
or something else altogether because we're not yet sure what it is yet. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think it's, um, first of all, getting over the self-delusion that it can't always be on my shoulders. I think that's something that you're right. Uh, and, and you're right because every time I look around and the guys are with me, they've, they've also been there in the trenches and they, they understand it and they've grown a lot stronger than they, you know, once were. And, um, and I think they're all going to do amazing things no matter what happens. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure we'll do it together. Uh, the next steps, I don't know. I'm just going to stick with a little bit of this resilience right now and at least uh, keep fighting it back up. I think we're in that pivotal moment that you know we get a couple of people to believe in us, uh, help us with that next step to get over um, and take what we've what we built, this, this technology, let's call it, and take it over to the U.S. and help us learn the other side, which is the market and the commercialization of, of these things. And then, yeah, somebody uh, is going to do well out of this and we'll do okay and at least we'll you know, make it a success as a, as a company sort of goes. But then you're absolutely right. Making sense of the story and making sense of what this has all been about and taking a breath to stop and process that many days and that many, you know, that many arguments and fights and pushes and, and, and days and days of just plans and work and work. Um, I think, yeah, it's finding the time to do that. You know, and, you, know uh, what, you know what you just described, my friend? You describe the process of becoming a CEO. It's not about coming up with a brilliant idea and saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if we... It's about exactly what you just described. So welcome to becoming a CEO. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jerry. Yeah, I, 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 don't know if I, I don't know if I should recommend it to others, though. That's, that's something. <laughs> I, was, I was standing the other day talking to some young guys at a, you know, an entrepreneurship event here in Armenia, and they were saying, you know, what does it take to build a company culture was the question given to me. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I started telling them the story about, you know, we carried 26 suitcases across on a bus crowding four countries, and this, you know, some crazy stories we had over the last two years. And uh, but I was sort of looking at them like, you know, I don't know if I want to wish that upon anybody, you know, in the world. But in the same way... You're right. The journey makes you who you are at the end of end of it, and I don't feel that I'm even. I don't even feel I'm even at the beginning of it. I feel there's like so much more to be learned, and that's uh, that's why I really appreciate you taking the time to to, to chat and you know. Well, listen, I appreciate your sharing honesty. your wisdom. I I don't know how wise it is, but I do appreciate your sharing uh, your stories, and you know, I think as everybody experiences when we talk about these things and we create space, even in the community, for talking about these things, it helps so many people. It really helps people. We have no idea who's going to listen to this and whose life is going to be helped in just a little bit. So you're already paying it forward by talking about it and sharing it. So I want to thank you and really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Sherry, for the time. Um, Yeah, really appreciate it as well. And... uh, yeah, I do wish everybody out there that's listening to this that you know they um, they do find some some help and, and contact there. And and I think the great thing is is that the world is actually connectable, so everyone can get in touch with each other if they need to at any time. And that's the amazing thing that we're doing right now, calling from two sides of the world to each other. So that's yeah, right, incredible. That's right. Thank you, my friend. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. 
If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. How long till my soul gets it right?